Today we are recording from one of Get Living's apartments. We're in the former Athletes Village from the 2012 London Olympics. We're a stone's throw from the Olympic Park and we can even see the city. So Get Living London are an award-winning residential owner. There's no deposit and no fees with them, just longer tenancy agreements with built-in flexibility. So you can settle down in your new home but still have the freedom to change. Yeah, and if you want someone with an unreal view, then highly recommend The Bulls are shown. The Bulls are shown. The Bulls are shows. Hello and welcome to The Bull Sessions, a podcast where we delve into the lives and stories of successful millennials. My name is Ross Jeffries and as always I'm joined by Tom West. Good afternoon Ross. And as a quick welcome back, Henry Martin who's uh, been off on his travels. Wee. Hello. How is everyone? Wonderful, yeah, mate. Much better for you to be back. He's sporting well. a lovely new trim as well. Yes. The old buzz cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New me, new me. I thought I'd surprise everyone here. Um, but yeah, travelling was good. Not too bad. Okay, that's enough about you. Um, <laughs> Moving on. Yes, to our guest today. And to be honest, uh, I'm probably the most excited about this one because uh, I'm a little bit of a fangirl. <laughs> but for today's, yeah, for today's session, we're joined by Liam Malone, uh, who has won two golds at the Paralympics in Rio 2016. So welcome, Liam. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Fantastic. In, in, Fantastic. Enjoying the, uh, the rainy the, the rainy British weather, yeah. It's been good for the last <laughs> week, but um, today I get to see what Britain's really mm. like, I guess. <laughs> we've, we've brought you to a nice little location as well, though, Liam. Familiar with this location, yeah. actually. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we're in one of Get Living's flats today. Uh, it is the East Village that was used as the uh, Athletes Village during London 2012. And you can rent those out. And, uh, <laughs> I sound like a weird rent boy there. Um, but yeah, anyway, Liam. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you're up to, sort of as a brief overview. Yeah, sure. So for the listeners, uh, I'm a bilateral amputee, meaning I've lost both of my limbs below the knee um, from maybe three quarters down my shin. I was born with a bilateral absence of the fibula bone, which is I lost, I was missing the fibula in both legs, which runs down behind the tibia, and that's your shin bone. And the role of the tibia, uh, the role of the fibula, is to provide structure to the ankle joint. So when I was learning to walk. Both of my ankles broke, they turned out sideways and they amputated my feet at the age of 18 months. Um, and fast forward a little bit, I'm a, a two-time gold medalist from the Paralympics. I was a sprinter, I ran on the, the carbon fiber blades, which are probably most famous for uh, by Oscar Pistorius. Yeah. Um, you know, famous for two reasons. <laughs> uh, one not good, just... one yeah. not so good. Um, but you know. Which one's which? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and uh, and then then I've left running, uh, and I've just recently been working at a world-leading AI company that's just been recognised by the World Economic Forum as being one of the most innovative 50 companies in the world for 2018, and is joining that cohort of tech companies. And that was led by my, my boss was uh, two-time Oscar Award winner Dr. Mark Sager. He's an absolute genius. He was the technologist behind King Kong, uh, Lord uh-huh. of the Rings, uh, Avatar, uh, and so a really incredible company to work for. I mean, I was working alongside, uh, you know, twenty-something PhDs, you know, a, a bunch of um, professors from different from from Auckland University and different universities that would come from around the world to work at this company. And so that was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I have an, you know various interests. I've in, you know, invested as an angel uh, in in a. a essentially a, a share trading platform back in New Zealand, as well as um, the youngest in- investor in First Cut Ventures, uh, which is a, an investment fund, back, a venture capital investment fund uh, back in New Zealand. So Yeah, yeah. so you've obviously uh, let your uh, sort of early life 
sort of slow you down then yes not done an awful lot I did, have you? I did in the short run um so i mean <laughs> when i was when i was 12 uh, i went into puberty became inter- interested in, in girls as biology you know happens and then at the same time developed self-awareness that having two artificial legs was an evolutionary disaster and my probability of getting a girlfriend in the short run was disastrous so i began wearing pants every single day from 12 all the way through to 19 when i started running so for mm-hmm. seven years i wore pants every single day even in summer i avoided going swimming um and then at the same time my mum got stage three or was diagnosed with stage three bowel cancer uh, when i was 12 she died at 18 at 18 i ended up being on social welfare on the benefit and a, and a part of the way that it's run in new zealand uh you'd essentially just get called up and you'd be told to go and work at x job and and where i lived the jobs that you'd have to go and work was picking apples from an orchard and i couldn't stand up for eight hours a day picking apples because of my situation with having two artificial Mm -hmm. legs and then i wasn't eligible for any other forms of social welfare support because the way that it was structured for people with disabilities is that you'd have to have ongoing costs associated with that disability and i didn't so by the time of 18 i basically fallen through all the cracks um couldn't get a job throughout high school was slightly have still have a slightly libertarian view slightly entrepreneurial sold weed to my friends at school to make money legend uh yeah uh, i mean where, where i grew up is very um liberal and there's a small township near where i grew up that's very much the sort of like hippie commune area um, where a lot of cannabis is grown in New Zealand. Uh, and then at 19, in my first year at university, uh, suffering from extreme anxiety and extreme depression. My mum had just died, wearing pants for seven years, uh, been rejected from a ton of jobs, was on social welfare, had been kicked off social welfare. I drunk drove my first year at university, reversed out of a friend's driveway, crashed into his girlfriend's car, wrote that off. She wasn't that great anyway, so <laughs> in hindsight, bit of a You, you, you uh, did him a favor, yeah. Bit of a favor. Uh, no, that was an incredibly irresponsible thing to do. Uh, and then I proceeded to carry on driving. Fortunately, did not crash into anyone or take anyone else's life, but crashed off a bank myself oh. and, and rode off my truck and was saved by a tree. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today. And then the next day was when I was like, I have to do something really significant to turn my life around alongside university. And that's when I sort of got on the path of like figuring out how to navigate the world and adopting certain principles that would lead to success. But before that, there was no real sign that anything positive might come. I was sort of just this like standard, Hmm. somewhat troublemaker person. Yeah. And it was at that stage that you started your running. Yeah. So I got, uh, a few friends at university mm-hmm. who I valued in terms of their opinion and I thought they were relatively analytical and we sort of brainstormed together different things that I could do alongside university and you know you're, you're essentially just mapping out all these ideas in this sort of like ideation phase and you know I looked at things like climbing New Zealand's highest mountain at that point in time and then I'd get some feedback from my friends you know saying things like well, do you really want to lose your hands as well do you want to like, <laughs> do you want to look like Patrick Starr you know these things um so that you know and then you know but you and we we wrote out a whole number of things right so like starting my own business uh doing stand-up comedy uh, all sorts of different things and then you measure them against these different metrics and the real two basic ones which are fundamentally important is 
what are your chances or probability that you can successfully create value for the world? Mm -hmm. And then will you be able to capture a percentage of the value that you create? Because that will allow you to go on to do other things. And when we mapped it out on, on a chart of like um, low value to high value on one axis and complexity from low to high on the other axis, the thing that made the most sense was going to the Paralympics because you can, you know, sports really valued in New Zealand. Um, it's relatively low in terms of competition. I mean, the athletes are really incredible, but again, it's not that competitive as say going into business or something else. Um, and then you look at its complexity and all you really have to do is turn up and lift weights and run around in a circle on a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> Sounds and, so easy. And, yeah. and, and so, but it is relatively easy in principle mm. compared to other things in terms of wrapping your mind around it and figuring out where to start. So that was the obvious thing to do. And then I proceeded from there. Were you quick though? Was no, I had no idea. I mean, I, I was, you know, I, when I went to the Paralympics offices for the first time, um, I was sort of given this objective feedback saying, these are the times that Blade Runners run, which are faster than most able-bodied people in the world and certainly faster than able-bodied people in New Zealand. The, you know, chances of you making it in three years time, that was my time frame, without having any training whatsoever, is relatively low and maybe you should aim for 2020 the tokyo paralympics mm -hmm. which is still another three years away yeah. today when we sit here in this room and when you have which what didn't make sense to me another thing that's really important is having really constrained time frames to get things done because it's like if you have a university assignment and you know most university students do an eight-week university assignment in eight days the sort of final eight days before handing it in if you look at really good ceos they'll put these sort of ambiguous constraints on their workforce to get things done which don't really have any sort of long-term impact but it allows everyone to focus really extremely. So what I did was I self-imposed this three-year time frame upon myself to go to the Paralympics in three years' time, and I'd win the 100, 200, and 400. That's what I said. So I went back from this initial meeting with the Paralympics, and I didn't have the blades, which is the piece of technology that I run on that allows me to run. I started brainstorming how much these things cost. And I'm dead broke at this point in time. I'd been on the benefit. I uh, had a student loan. I didn't really know anyone with that much, with that much money. And I sort of thought maybe that'd be $5,000 to $10,000 New Zealand, so, you know, 3,000 pounds. And then I Googled it, and it's sort of more towards the 15,000 to 20,000 pound mark or $50,000 New Zealand mark. And I really didn't know how I was going to get that money. And so my first strategy for sort of raising money was I'll look up wealthy families by the New Zealand National Business Review rich list of families within New Zealand that mm -hmm. have money and then I'll just ring them up on their home phone because a lot of them are these sort of old families they still have their name in the phone yep. book or I'll just get the email and I'll just guess emails or I'll figure it out and of course anyone with money is going to conduct a form of due diligence and they're going to and the obvious question to ask is well how fast can you run now like what you just asked uh -huh. me and my obvious my answer was well I haven't run in six years and then the second the second question that they were obviously going to ask that I didn't think about was well what are your lifestyle habits at the moment you know, my lifestyle habits were eating pizza smoking cones and drinking and wearing, um, wearing trousers yeah yeah and wearing trousers and I hadn't run in, in, in six years so it was a really poor pitch um, and then I got in touch with a guy who had no money, but what he did have was was access to a large number of viewers at scale. He was a journalist from one of the big media networks in New Zealand. And I got on a phone call with him and he goes, this is perfect timing. I'm looking to make a documentary at the moment. I'm going to come down in two days time and I'm going to bring a cameraman. 
He didn't ask me really any questions. He gets down with the cameraman. He's in my university dorm room and he asks those first questions. You want to qualify for Rio in three years time? How fast can you run now? And I say, fella, I haven't run in six years. And he goes, shit. Like, but you can't say no to a kid with no legs when he's sitting yeah. in front of you. <laughs> he, he, had to, uh, he had to go through with this, with this documentary. Anyway, we pitched it to the New Zealand public. And uh, I, I wore shorts for the first time in this documentary. And we went out to this Christchurch athletic track. And because they'd had earthquakes there the previous year, there was only about 70 meters left. And the rest was sort of been pulled up. And I ran 50 meters in the legs that I walk around in, which are not designed for running. So I looked really slow. I was wearing what are called stubbies in New Zealand. I'm not sure if they, they've probably outlawed them here in England because you guys are sensible. Uh, but they're basically really short shorts. It's what rugby players wear, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, stubbies, yeah. yeah, rugby shorts. I looked ridiculous. And then in the documentary, they put me next to a clip of Oscar Pistorius going, he's, he's like this guy and he's going to run faster than him, which was a really bad comparison. <laughs> Did they just put you on fast forward? <laughs> no, they didn't. Yeah, they should have. But it was a bad comparison for two reasons. One, Oscar was incredible. He'd go into the able-bodied Olympics, and it was a really high expectation to set in the media. And the second reason it's a bad comparison is he's a murderer, isn't he? So <laughs> saying he's like that guy wasn't really a good start. Wait, at but the time, was he a murderer? Yeah, he'd, he just, yeah, he'd just been uh, sent to prison for culpable homicide, I believe the word is. That was a terrible yeah. idea from that. I assume yeah. that it was before. Just yeah. No, but I mean, it was good. And I, So I went on national TV. I hadn't run. I had no idea what I was doing. I said, in three years' time, I'm going to go. I'm going to win the 100, 200, and 400, and I need $50,000. And within 48 hours, I had it, and we had to stop all other money coming in. And, uh, and then that was all put into a trust so I could be held accountable to how it was spent. And then I had, as the documentary finished airing, I had a friend turn around to me and say, shit, you're actually going to have to do this. <laughs> and I'm like, ooh, this is tough because I'd never really been good at anything. Yeah. And so I started with a Google search. How do I get good at things? And, you know, that was bad uh, because I came across this New York Times article and I was paraphrasing here, but there was like a Tony Robbins sort of quote being like, if you want to go down a path that's, you know, challenging or hard follow someone who's gone before you again bad thing because it was oscar pistorius <laughs> outcome prison not where i wanted to go um but what i did do is i started adopting the principles from entrepreneurs from great athletes great artists great academics and uh you know pretty much just implemented them into my life became very disciplined and you know then there was just a pretty tough process to get to rio and uh but it all worked out I have a question, which is, I don't know if it's a really stupid question or not, but is it, when you first started to run on the blades, is that like a, a difficult thing to do? Because it looked bloody difficult. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, I would describe it, if you see like a newly born foal, or like a newly born horse, and they try to walk and they're falling all over the show, mm -hmm. that was what it was like. It's nothing like walking on a foot, I don't have feet, but an artificial foot, which has a wide surface area, a blade sort of mimics the blades are designed based on the hind leg of a cheetah, but it would be almost like trying to walk constantly on your, the very tips of your toes because yeah. it's a very limited amount of surface area. And they're very springy. Um, so you're always having this like sort of quite strong energy return out of them. And for the first nine months of my training, no one in New Zealand had built blades before either. And the part that attaches to my leg, the socket, was designed really poorly. And I'd describe it like wearing a shoe that's a size too small. Mm -hmm. Um, but made of carbon fiber and so my legs bled for like nine months while they sort of toughened to wearing these uh, prosthetics and that was pretty challenging but the more, most challenging part was turning up at a track and putting on these blades because I was really anxious about people seeing me mm -hmm. you know and then you know you have also have to deal with things like imposter syndrome 
all those sorts of factors and yeah but, i mean you you said just then that it all worked out quite well in the end but that must have been like a super difficult journey from the point of oh for sure six mm. years. yeah absolutely and i mean i had no idea what i was doing i trained i had a coach who wrote my program but i trained by myself for the mm -hmm. first two years so i just i showed up every single day every single morning and every single night by myself um for two years i had a girlfriend at the time who told me that i probably wasn't going to make it um and that i'd wind up behind a bar back in my hometown with my friends and you know i'd go to these running events where there'd be you know like 10 people running there's no one in the crowd and it's all timed on a stopwatch and you're thinking this is a waste of time how the hell does this lead to the paralympics in front of eighty thousand people but it's sort of that one percent effort every day compounds over time mm -hmm. and then you suddenly you're two and a half years down the track looking back and you're like holy shit i've come so far in that time without really noticing it when you were training and having like the, the miserable days in front of three men and their dog Mm -hmm. Did you believe that you were still going to go to the Paralympics at least and win? Yeah, but I mean, I also adopted these strategies of convincing myself that I was going to win. I mean, and to go off track, you know, your thoughts, you're not really the author of them. They sort of just sort of happen. And but you can bring in certain stimuli into your life that changes your thought patterns. And so doing really lame things like creating vision boards or vision booklets and imagining and spending time to practice imagining what it was going to be like to be in the Olympic Stadium competing against these certain people uh, was really important. I did that on a day to day basis. And by the time I got to the Paralympics, it just felt familiar, which was really odd. And I was like, this is very underwhelming um, and by the time you got there everything was to be expected yeah yeah because i'd convinced myself that it was going to happen sorry what, what is the vision board is that way yeah well, I, I i use a vision booklet but it's it's basically so i took photos of well, myself running once i got my first set of blades and i would photoshop them those photos of me running into images of the 2012 paralympics okay. beating all the others so i'm yeah. moving oscar stories and putting myself in and then i would look at that and then uh you know just other things that you might want to to happen in your life and there's two things that have been really critical that have happened from that vision booklet i went to antarctica and i met i had yeah. dinner with sir richard branson so Whoa. and the which i'm not into believing <laughs> in any sort of weird spiritual <laughs> yeah, bullshit, yeah. you know but it was strange that you know like where focus goes your sort of energy flows and those two, two things happened which i didn't ever imagine happening as a result of running yeah but they sort of came to fruition so yeah and so again with the richard branson thing you know just photoshopped a photo of myself hanging out with richard branson because i wanted to aspire to be around more successful yeah. people and then antarctica i've always been fascinated by uh and so like had photos of antarctica and shackleton's heart and all sorts of different things there mm -hmm. and then i it all yeah. happened yeah it was weird is there anything else in that vision book that, yeah, that is yeah. still so going to happen? Or? Yeah, I mean, but a lot of the things are basic. And there's like word descriptions, you know, being financially independent, which I've been able yep. to achieve, um, being financially disciplined, which I've been able to achieve, um, you know, stand-up comedy is still to occur, um, and business is still to occur, um, but they're both, long, they're both more long-term yeah. things. So, yeah, but it's it's been so fun now having like a pathway and structure in life and i don't think really it mattered what i would have chosen but i think people should just choose something if yeah. like you're young and you're our age you don't know what you want to do just pick something and then just work at it you yeah. know how how did your dinner with richard branson come along he's he's a really interesting guy i yeah. mean he um he so the, the the beginning of the dinner to sort of set the set the tone he jumped up on the table and pretended to surf it so it was <laughs> not just myself it was myself and a mix of 
it was maybe 12 of us or yeah. 10 of us, 10 of us, I think, um, of other young New Zealand entrepreneurs, um, maybe people, maybe one or two artists, but I had the fortune of sitting opposite him. Oh, wow. uh, and, you know, we discussed things like uh, the legalization of drugs, because that's been a giant failure, and I know that firsthand. Um, we talked about business and entrepreneurship yeah. and investing and, and all sorts of things like that. Uh, but he's a really fascinating guy. When you're with him one-to-one, -one, he's, you know, relatively, he's like quietly spoken in a way. Yep. He's a very good listener. And he's obviously been very good... He's someone that's realized that he should just focus on what he's good at because he's not financially literate in a sense where he wouldn't be able to look at a whole bunch of financial statements and make a business decision based on financial statements himself, mm -hmm, right? Okay. But he is able to have a bunch of people look at the more uh, sort of logistical sides or the administrative sides of running a business and then sort of get them together and make an informed decision from what they've said. But what he's really good at is doing things that are Know, relatively crazy did all the hot air ballooning across the yeah. whatever it was um was it it wasn't the pacific it was the yeah I can't whatever he did but he, yeah. he was very good at the marketing side and the sales yeah. side he's like a, a grandmaster of sales and so that's what he just focused on and and taking risks he's a little bit more or less averse to risks than others so yeah and then going back to the olympics mm -hmm. so the Olympics was the actual uh, able-bodied Olympics is two weeks before the Paralympics, Correct, isn't it? Yeah. And so, how was that? Did you go out there for yeah. the Olympics? Are you I out didn't. there for no, the whole I time? Went, I went and trained at the US Olympic Training Center while that was happening. Mm -hmm. I just didn't really want to get distracted. Um, I had an opportunity to train with the US Paralympic team, who was still training at the US Olympic Training Center at that point in time, and it was great because we had a whole bunch of uh, basically practice races or mock races, and the guy who I was going to be competing against, Hunter Woodhall, I let him win both times. <laughs> right? And, you know, I basically just kept on his tail and I get to think, oh, fuck that with bloody heart. He goes, you're, you're fast, man. I'm like, you're so fast. You know, and it just rises the <laughs> dangerous trap, a dangerous trap. But then, yeah, but I was only maybe going at 90%. And I was like, that was really good because I could see he was going at 100%. Um, and it gave me a chance to look at their mindsets and everything else. And so that's what I did for the, the weeks leading into it. I wish I had gone to the Olympics um, to, to watch because I had a bunch of friends who were competing in the able-bodied Olympics. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Does, uh, what was his name? Hunter? Woodhall. Does he know that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't really talked to any of them since. Okay, yeah. right. Is there a big community between different countries? I mean, there's a lot of collaboration and training between western countries mm -hmm. so i think certain coaches who have similar like a certain similar thesis on how to train athletes yeah. from maybe say australia and new zealand might get together with the new zealand and britain and then they might together go to another country for a training camp together okay. share ideas yeah. so on and so forth um but in general you are in competition with yep. these yeah. other countries and so it depends on what that country or what that coach or training group sees as being their competitive advantage and how they sort of integrate with other coaches yeah and then obviously the Olymp uh, the paralympic start mm -hmm. what is it like so you have circus, the, uh, yeah. a circus. You have dwarfs the, uh... running around people with cerebral palsy i showed up no nah. <laughs> no i did <laughs> it's honestly it's madness and it's not i'm one of them so i can say yeah, 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 i'm yeah. one of them i'm in the i'm in the club <laughs> sadly you know, sadly uh 
Yeah, no, it was, you know, there's this, there was this big push to be, they want, every, all these parallels, they want to be seen as normal, right? And the only reason they want to do mm. that is because they want to get sponsorship money. Uh, and they want to be treated the same as the Olympics, righty, righty, right. We want to be on the same media stuff as one another. But, um, what's your point on that? Is yeah. it, like, have you got a, I don't have, oh, everyone's whinging and moaning now. I just, I don't have much to say. I mean, yeah. I, I, I you yeah, get I, on with it sort of thing. Get on with it. Yeah. Get on with it. And you don't get like you don't help yourself by just whinging and moaning like that if you want to do it then do something that's interesting take the piss out of yourself or something which is yeah. what i did you know but yeah whinging about it doesn't isn't gonna you know no one really likes people that whinge so um yeah i i don't i know that the uk has had a massive increase in the following of the paralympics as yeah. a result of being shared on new like I mean, I'm being shit on the big media networks. The same was done in New Zealand for the first time where it was um, broadcasted for free, whereas the Olympics, you had to pay because different broadcasters got different rights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in the end, the Paralympics had like 3x more times the viewers as the Olympics did, and it gained a massive traction mm. in New Zealand. So there probably is some sort of objective benefit to, to doing it. Whether it breaks down stereotypes about people having disabilities, don't know if you watch people compete with disabilities and a guy's leg falls off while he's in a running race you'd laugh so i don't know if it helps the cause or you watch a dwarf show a throttle and it goes a meter and you go yeah you know <laughs> you know so are they helping themselves i don't know has your leg ever fallen off oh <laughs> yeah i did so when i was in my last year of primary school so when i was 10 before i went to intermediate our primary school went to the intermediate school for an athletics day so there may be 1200 to 1400 kids and the teachers were really kind to even the playing field. They put me next to the kids whose parents fed them too much KFC. So it was me next to the fat kids, <laughs> right? The kid who runs like a pirate next to the kids who can hardly run. And then somehow, you know, there was always that kid at school who just sucked. Just <laughs> didn't have anything visibly wrong. Just, just was bad at everything. Yeah. yeah, it was weird. Natural selection will get him at some point. Um, he'll drink bleach or something. Uh, anyway, I get like 50 metres, I was in third place. And I think this is brilliant, right? Because I'm going to save face. I'm not going to come last once because I always came last. And then 10 metres later, I like face planted into the ground because my leg flew off. And I had 1,200 kids like erupt in laughter. I properly erupt. Like it vibrated the ground. I burst into tears. But, but my principal ran over. He gave me my leg. I put it back on, I ran to the end crying. And then my mum shows up 20 minutes late. Like, what type of parent with, who has a son with fake leg makes him into a running race? Like, I never got out of it. There were kids who just pretend to be sick and I'd get out of it, but not me. Anyway, she shows up late, misses it. It's a disaster and I'm crying. She sort of, sort of hugs me and cons you know, consoles me for maybe 20 seconds and then she just pulls out a roll of duct tape and tapes my legs up and makes me run the 200. <laughs> of course, I come last in that one as well and it was just devastating. And that's, that was my parents' thesis was to make me do as many things that would be adverse in front of groups of people when I was young so it would make me resilient when I was older. Same thing with swimming sports. Mm. My legs were made of wood back then. So they absorbed water while I was swimming. And so I would sort of start off yeah. parallel with the water. But as I went on, my legs would slowly, you know, pull me down. And then I'm at the bottom of the pool being like, this is like waterboarding. And I'd have to get, I wouldn't even make it to the end. I'd have to get pulled out of the pool. And, oh, it was so hard. And then I'd play rugby. And I was okay at rugby. Um, you know, I was good at defending. I was good at tackling. I was horrible on attack. And, you know, occasionally, for whatever reason, I'd try and kick the ball. Or I'd be asked to do a conversion if I got a try, you know, as a novelty. 
and my leg would fly off and the <laughs> ball wouldn't go anywhere. And so over the leg goes. Yeah, yeah over the leg goes. <laughs> Good enough for us. Yeah, yeah three points. Give them extra. Uh, or then I played cricket and you know I'd get LBW and everyone would make all these like you know jokes. Is it? Is he really out because he doesn't have legs? So. <laughs> or then you know it's like or you know or it'd bounce off my leg and hit the stumps and then someone would go four stumps like that's record. <laughs> and so. I, I just got sledged and slaughtered by both my friends and, you know, the opposing team or whoever just constantly through childhood. Uh, but in hindsight, it was all fantastic. And I got bullied a lot in early primary school by older kids. And in hindsight, I think it was a good thing. And maybe that's because I have like some sort of social genetic predisposition to be resilient to that. But it's just giving me thick skin. And, you know, yeah. you know it's good for the, to live when you're living in the world. Yeah. yeah, I'm not worried if I get offended. I don't really get offended. Um, I'm not worried about moving to another side of the planet, not really f knowing what I'm doing. You know, I don't really get stressed. So. And, and has that confidence come since running or? No, it was or, always sort of there. Yeah. yeah, it was always sort of there. I mean, I was I was anxious, but I was anxious about different things to what I was confident about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's in hindsight, all of those negative events, which were really horrible to deal with, have been very beneficial later on. And so when you were a youngster, what blades were you on? When I didn't have any, no, I just had, just I mean, much like the NHS in England, we have uh, the, oh gosh, what's it called? Um, the Ministry of Health, which mm -hmm. is our public sector. So all health in New Zealand is funded by the public. There mm -hmm. are private operators, which you can pay more to, but that was who, they were who funded my prosthetics. And going back 10 years, technology, and prosthetics were still very limited. They, like I said, they were made of wood and rubber. They had no form of energy returns. So they weren't very nice to walk on and I could hardly run on them. Um, but I did somehow, yeah. And do you think the technology in kind of artificial um, prosthetics is, is Oh, it's going, yeah, it's, it's going rapidly and there's a number of reasons for that. One, you have huge demand because of the wars from Tony Blair and George Bush. So you have all these veterans coming back and it's a crazy number who need prosthetics. So that's created mm -hmm. a lot of demand. And then you've had these mergings of um, sort of different industries and bio biotechnology, information technology, uh, robotics, and out of that have come products that have been for prosthetics or missing limbs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, huge advances in um, in forms of you know medical surgeries so now they're beginning at for example at certain at like john hopkins university they are connecting prosthetics to the somatosensory cortex which is like the neural system that controls movement okay. so you're having you know amputees that are beginning to be able to sense in very in a very basic form how much pressure they're applying to you know an object which is great when you're picking up a cup so you don't smash it mm -hmm. Great when if you're jacking off. <laughs> so you don't smash it. <laughs> no, so those things are important um, for any amputee. And no, but like, so for example, the legs that I walk around in now, although they're not that great, there have been a big advancement and that's come from the different materials that have been, they've been able to use and the way that they've designed them. So On like an everyday basis, does, do they cause you pain anymore? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. So I can't stand up for long periods of time. And yeah. that is definitely, I think, a design problem because I've met other amputees, basically the ones that I competed against, mm -hmm. who could, I'd be talking to them and they were like, oh, I went up for an eight hour um, like hunt the other day. I'm like, ah, oh, I'd love to go hunting for eight, eight hours. Or just be able to walk for eight hours would yeah. be fantastic um, without being in pain. Like if I go out um, and I don't really go out at all, but if I go out with friends on a night out, I'm in so much pain because you go to these clubs, you have to stand in line for like three hours to get in and it sucks. And then I have to basically get blind drunk. Otherwise, I'm in, I'd say, like a 
seven out of ten pain mm-hmm. almost to the point where if i didn't sit down i'd get to the point of fainting so, so are you saying that other amputees don't all experience the same pain so why why is it that in your case you do? uh because different amputees have their sockets which is where your leg fits into yeah, yeah. uh they're designed differently and so i basically take all of the weight at the bottom of my leg where these other amputees have a system where it's distributed yeah, up the leg yeah, okay. almost like distributing it across a foot um, versus having all your weight go through one part of the foot. Yeah, it's distributed up the leg. And yeah. I don't have that system, and I need to get that system. So I'll probably get that while I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, would it be difficult to get that? Or? I have no idea. I mean, I'll, I'll go through a private provider <laughs> yeah. if I yeah, have yeah. to, but I'm pretty keen to experiment. So. Yeah. And does it make it, does it, um, because you're a below the knee amputee, does that make it more difficult to implement that system? No. no. I think it's much easier. Being a below the knee amputee yeah. is much easier than being in a butt. The knees are incredibly important. Yeah. The feet aren't as important, um, strangely enough. And so I have a lot more mobility uh, than an above knee amputee. And because I'm missing both, I have a lot more mobility than a single leg amputee because they have a much greater imbalance. Mm-hmm. Whereas, That's, yeah. Which, whereas both of my legs are amputated yeah. at the exact same length. And it's much easier to get around because that's what i was going to say because i was talking yesterday to, to tom about it yeah and it's always i didn't really know how to phrase it but it was almost like are you better off being a double oh, amputee as i know so to- many single leg amputees who have all these back problems hip problems joint problems and my answer is just lop the other one off because at least I you know, are symmetrical aren't exactly you? That's the and thing. that's what's more important than just keeping the other foot to mm-hmm. be honest and so i know amputees who are young who have opted to amputate a good foot uh, under a private system because the implications of being um, of having you know the symmetry sort of all, all off balance is is much greater than if they just had two missing legs because I don't really have any health problems yeah. as a result of having two artificial legs I have no back problems or joint problems or anything really my legs are just made of carbon fiber and that's it mm-hmm. so and this might sound like because I've only just kind of clocked this so watching your races because you've got the knee, does that yeah. make it easier to run? Because if you watch somebody yes, without yes, yes, the yes, knee, yes, yes. it's kind they, of... No, we they, don't, they, we don't compete against each other. So yeah. they have a different, they have a different category. category. So that's an above, like you just say, it's like an above knee race. Yeah, yeah. Sport. They have a technical term. What about, um, is it Johnny Whitehead, the British... Peacock. Peacock. No, 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 the above no, no, no. knee, Whitehead, yeah, yeah, There's yeah. A, uh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. above the knee, but yeah, he's, he's really... He's I think it's he wore there, he stepped on something, maybe. Potentially. He's a beast. He's really quick over the last hundred, isn't he? Yeah, well, you are. Oh, yeah. So even if you are a double amputee, below the knee or above the knee, you benefit from longer distances because anything below where your leg is amputated does not suffer from fatigue. You have no lactic acid going in there because Mm. there's no muscles and carbon doesn't fatigue during a race. And so when you see single leg amputees, whether they're single leg above the knee amputees competing against bilateral above the knee amputees or single leg amputees who are below the knee competing against <laughs> double below the knee. Jeez. getting really complicated here on the physiology. <laughs> the double leg amputees have a huge advantage over yeah. the longer distances. Yeah. yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember seeing him race. Flies in the last yeah, time. Yeah. He'd always be really slow and then... It's crazy. Yeah, Those guys so are quick. crazy to watch. Yeah. It's weird. Because they run with their legs straight. Yeah, yes, that's yeah, what they yeah, sort of swing, swing them around. Because yeah. there was definitely a problem. Someone complained once because they the story, lost to someone yeah. that had. Oh, they're always like, moaning. Yeah. Uh, you don't yeah. like moaners, do you? Yeah. <laughs> so, but, so your. The category that you raced in was with. T44. Yeah. T44, 43. And it's a technical so, term for baloney single yeah. leg and baloney bilateral. Uh huh. Okay. We're missing both, yeah. So then, I think we haven't even talked about the races yet. No, we 
probably should. Probably should. Yeah. yeah what, what was that like? <laughs> Pretty boring, really. <laughs> you ever been on a run? <laughs> what do you think? I don't, I don't know. You get that. to the end, you're like, oh, I didn't win a medal for mine. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's uh, because yeah. no, no. So it was interesting. So I won my uh, the the first race that I had was the uh, maybe I'll describe the Paralympic setting because the village yeah. in Rio was not like the village in London. It, you sort of get there's all this propaganda that you're going to go to this utopian resort. <laughs> they're going to have everything covered. This beautiful food. There'll be you know everything you know barber services massage people therapists whatever you wanted they're going to have it there giant yarn you get there the air conditioning units were on the wall with no wiring going anywhere the tvs would have been stolen by the workers or there's that is the tv on the wall that doesn't play anything the toilet did not flush you sleep on what feels like wood it's a horrible environment to compete in and i'm really sensitive to light and noise when i sleep and i was outside a bus stop that ran 24 7 with a street light that shined in through <laughs> what were basically just those white blinds they weren't even curtains yeah, yeah. and so i was like sleeping in this lit room with a bus that came past every five minutes and would beep as the doors opened and dropped it had to drop so much for the damn wheelchair people to get on who weren't even awake at, like i don't know i don't know why it had to run 24 7 um uh, you know, I've got a question about about the races because your blades were crowdfunded. Mm. So what was... oh, but by the time I'd qualified, the blades that I'd crowdfunded had broken. But still, there still must have been a, a sense of pressure on you. Well, from the yeah, okay, so to... sure. So I'd, I mean, whether real or imaginary, I mean, we all put pressure on ourselves yeah. as people, regardless of our position in society, what we're doing, we feel some sort of societal pressure or some form of pressure. Mm. Uh, but I went on national television, I raised $50,000, I explicitly said that I was going to win. Um, and I hadn't really been followed that much within New Zealand, but there was enough articles and sort of local newspapers to say that I was still doing it and what the goals were to be held accountable. So yeah. no one was going to forget that I raised the $50,000. Yeah, yeah. And the guy who ran the documentary was obviously going to cover how I went in the games. But by and large, the public back home, I was relatively unknown. Um, so yes, I did have this sense of pressure that I needed to perform and win to pull through on my end of the deal to the, all mm. those who invested in me, yeah. um, which is way more important than doing something for people that told you you can't do something. And so when I won my first silver, it was on my late mother's birthday, or what would have been her mm -hmm. birthday. So that was really special. I had all the lads there from back home who I went to high school with. Mm -hmm. They'd all flown over yeah. with my dad. Um, they're all drunk as hell, cheering <laughs> for me, crying. And these are really blokey guys, they're yeah, all tradies, yeah, yeah. right? And then they're all just bawling their eyes out. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I went on to win the 200 and 400. So I'm a silver on my first race and then yeah. I won the 200 and 400. Yeah. And did you claim that you're going to win all three? I claimed that I was going to win all three. <laughs> Bloody let down. Yeah, yeah. let down failure, really. Yeah. Oh, fuck it. Yeah. Did they ask for their money back? Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised they didn't. <laughs> useless useless yeah. but i was beaten by johnny peacock who's yeah. uh, you know he's my age he's british uh, he's a wonderful guy he's an incredible athlete and out of anyone that you could accept losing to i could lose to him because i think the british have a similar sort of mentality to new zealanders versus the americans who are far more arrogant mm -hmm. uh and so to lose to johnny was okay in yeah. my mind yeah. yeah are you mates with him now not mates i mean no because he beat you yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh no, I mean, I haven't really kept in contact with anyone, so. Just got the medals in there. Yeah, them off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Smash and grab. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. Like, so, and then 
you were almost thrust into the limelight. You were a bit of a poster boy at that point because you were then flag bearer. Uh, oh, you yes, were then I was, flag bearer. I was flag bearer for uh, the closing yeah. ceremony, yep. and the organisers screwed it up. And they we have we literally had just had a twenty six dollar twenty six million dollar referendum in New Zealand to change the flag. Maybe eight months before the oh, Olympics, I remember that. voted against yeah. it. Millions of dollars wasted. All the oldies voted against it, uh, and. Then I literally got put with the Australian team. I was flag bearing. I got put with the Australians. They, they screwed it up. What? So they, like, the organisers took me. And I could see my team. I'm like, pretty sure I'm meant to be going that way, but they're Brazilian. And they're like, no, no, no. And then you get there, and it's the Australian team. You're thinking, fuck. And you're wearing all black. Yeah, you're wearing all black. And you go, this yellow. is weird. And they put the Australians, because there's so many flags related to the Commonwealth, with someone totally random as well. One of these small islands that was a British colony. So. Yeah. Disaster. So, really. so in the end, you didn't. And in the end, I think they just put all the flags in sort of random places. Maybe, but Brazil, the United States, Japan, and the really obvious ones. Yeah. So I didn't get to be with my team. So you were just carrying the flag. I was just carrying a flag for the Australians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which was. That must have hurt. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was a battle. But yeah, and then I suppose I received um, perhaps more so than I deserved relative to other athletes back home more attention in the media than they did it's because i went on every time i was interviewed i just say something ridiculous yeah, yeah. and i had really long hair at that point in time i looked like a complete idiot and because i was convinced by all this you know marketing propaganda from the organizers that there were going to be a barber there or like <laughs> that that could you know basically cater to you to meet the demand of ten thousand athletes or however many are in the village i got there and there was one barber and my intention was to get my hair cut at the village, like a sort of special thing. And so I couldn't get in. So I couldn't get my hair cut. And so I had to look like an absolute fucking idiot. <laughs> so this is your one chance to make it. You want to get awesome sponsors. What are you going to look like? Oh, like yeah. that. I you thought know? it was good. Yeah, in a way, it kind of it works for you, though. Yeah, so yeah, I, I added, so. added to the, uh, the, yeah, the character. The yeah, to oh. the character. So. And it's a bit more, you know, a bit more drag. So a bit more drag. more impressive that you won. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. We actually calculated it would be 0 0.01, a deficit of 0 0.01 seconds over... 100 meters per 100 meters we could work it out yeah so might make all the difference yeah how close was the one with the uh, johnny peacock was, <laughs> it, was it that close no, it, was, it wasn't it wasn't it was 0.1 of a second so i would need a yeah can't blame it on head down to your ankles yeah, yeah. my ankles exactly that bloody lactic have, acid yeah yeah i don't have ankles so <laughs> where the hair would have to go to but where a normal human's ankles would be um but you're, you're media presence i guess at the time of the olympics kind of i don't want to say paid off because it makes it sound like you were trying to, to do that we've been since on the last leg yeah yeah i've been on the last i mean i it, i mean i met adam hills who is the host of the last mm -hmm. leg a year before uh at a what's the word for a lack of a better word like an amputee conference run by a the the people who made our prosthetics who made my blades mm -hmm. a company called osa and he was a he's a stand-up comic as well yeah and he did uh a small set maybe 10 to 15 minutes and i went up to him I'm like i would love to do stand-up comedy and then he was also interviewing people at the end of all their races and i saw him again and i think the first thing i said to him was man i got to do stand-up comedy like i still haven't done it uh and but you know i, I perhaps was a little bit wiser than other athletes um, on how to present myself within the media mm. or how to at least gain attention within the media and not not that I was doing it in an egotistical way but you, if you want to make money as an athlete you have to do it stand out you don't have you? to stand yeah, out really. in one yeah. way um, but at the same time I was just myself I wasn't trying to yeah, be anyone yeah. else because I am a fucking idiot in general <laughs> um, yeah I was going to ask about 
about the money because you don't earn much. I wouldn't yeah, recommend. No, yeah. So I mean, in hindsight, so what? The reason I'm not running is because the Paralympics have changed the rules yeah. regarding the blades and a lot of the other technology that's going to be within the Paralympics because they're trying to even it out because you can get technological advantages, mm-hmm. and so they're trying to create yeah. perfect a perfect state of competition. Um, and you know, the example of that within the Olympics is that you know that you can't really change the soles on the shoes that it's the, that's that regulated, um, which basically. Um, creates barriers to increasing performance yeah. in the in the olympics and a technological regulation within the paralympics was going to reduce the barriers to to new sort of increases in performance and mm-hmm. so i fundamentally disagreed with it and left which was sad in hindsight it's probably a good thing because your life cycle as an athlete is relatively short so yeah. you can only be an athlete yeah. to your 30 yeah. if you're lucky if you don't get injured by then at the same time the life of an athlete is a horrible one you don't earn that much money uh you have to live this insanely selfish disciplined life where you're constantly concerned only about you um, which is really hard if you have a a girlfriend Um, and and ultimately i had other interests and so and i'd gone and achieved everything that i wanted to so Mm -hmm. ultimately it was a good thing for money you don't earn that much Mm -hmm. and a lot of athletes have to work at the same time as training and so it's very much almost like a hobby yeah and you were so athletes, you, yeah. both olympic athletes and paralympic yeah. athletes because you're 24 when you retired from athletics. yeah i was 24 and you're 25 now no, I'm still, still 24 so yeah. yeah you only retired in january wasn't yeah, it? yeah. Ago, yeah um but how is that sort of retiring oh, from easy. anything so as when, a I, young when i knew i mean i didn't really know about this rule change until it was confirmed i think a few days before january 1st and i basically looked and i said okay i'm done I mean, I've never felt shy of moving on to new arenas mm-hmm. uh, or trying new things. And if I disagreed with it fundamentally, and if I didn't think, if, if I was uncertain about where I'd sit within the competitive stack as a result of these new rule changes and how to navigate them, then it really wasn't going to be worth it. So I basically decided within three days, emailed the CEO of Paralympics, said I'm done. M- more, more people made a fuss of it, including my friends, than I did, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was easy for me. And if in the near future? Nah, I'd never it. Not even if the rules change? Nah, no, you know, nah, done with I, it. nah, done with it. You, the life cycle's too too short. Yeah. You want to find something that you can do uh, over a lifetime yeah. and it mm-hmm. not feel like work. So, Because yeah. you did quite famously say that you were going to run faster yeah, bulk, so, didn't you? Yeah. exactly. So and I where... actually went out and raised a bunch of money to be able to create these blades that are outside i could run outside of the paralympics on mm-hmm. however so i went out to nike headquarters um in the states got really good funding from them and i got a bunch of funding from private investors both in the united states I spent three months in silicon valley mm-hmm. meeting with different people and, and certain wealthy people back in new zealand the stipulation was of course that i would continue running in the paralympics mm-hmm. and then when that rule change occurred i was like well, I can't compete within the Paralympics. But then as a byproduct of that, I lost my funding for this project. Mm-hmm. And so for the listeners, the project was, if you track the results of Paralympic athletes in the last 10 years and blade running specifically over the 100, 200, and 400 meters, and you measure that against the progress of able-bodied athletes, it's incredibly obvious that, you know, Ceteris Paribus, if all things had remained equal in the Paralympics, meaning no new rule changes, that uh, at a given point in time in the future, whether it be in the short run or long run, uh, people with prosthetics were going to perform a hell of a lot better than able-bodied athletes, without a doubt. And the example of that already exists. Marcus Rem is a long jumper who jumps off one leg. Uh, he's from Germany. He would have won the last two Olympics, right? Oh. Jumping off a blade by about three or four centimeters. 
what I wanted to do outside of the Paralympics was design a pair of blades. And the, the, the math is really basic. If you want to run faster, you can do two things, either increase your stride rate to cover more ground or increase your stride length to cover more ground. Now, having two artificial legs, I could make myself seven foot and I could artificially increase my stride length and I could make huge advancements in the technology to increase my stride rate. And so I began to work with researchers who worked on the America's Cup yacht uh, because they are experts in carbon fiber. And we began to sort of start doing that uh, midway through last year. And so we're sort of going down mm-hmm. the path of looking at how we would design them, what they would look like, and then and then the rule change came yeah. in, and I just said, "I'm done," which sucked. But at the same time, in hindsight, probably a good thing. So, with that thing, I, I sort of had a completely unrelated question, but it is related to the height. Mm. You get to choose. I, suppose, <laughs> I just oh yeah, how 100%. tall you are. Fuck yeah, all my mates are six three. <laughs> I'd be. So as a result of fibula hemimelia, all the, the length of my bones has been stunted. And we don't know why that occurs. And I've got short arms, short little legs. But I'd probably, short everything? Yeah. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, when I was really young, and I'm not religious, but, uh, um, you know, I was, you know, my grandmother went to church and I had to go along with her. And I can remember learning that, you know, I didn't go to church very long. So I was, yeah, sort of realized, you know, they always talked about God's will. And... You know, I questioned the past, you know, are my legs a result of God's will? And then he was like, yeah, but it's a gift. Or, you know, he said something about being compensated. I'm thinking, I haven't really been compensated down there either, you know. You'd think if this was a result of God's will, he would sort of even it out. He hasn't. No, it's disastrous. Can you get prosthetic for that? Hopefully in the future, man. I think all dudes are going to be doing it. If you look at it, I mean, if you look at it, in a real sense, I think a lot of dudes are going to be getting genital enhancements in the future. Uh, I mean, women do it with breasts. And people do it like crazy with all other forms of body parts to look more physically attractive. So I'm sure it will happen in the future. You we'll be yeah. rolling around with footlongs. We'll get competitive. <laughs> we'll be rolling footlong dicks. And you won't be able to wear those short shorts anymore. Yeah, no, <laughs> short shorts would be out of the question. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's funny. I don't know. Where were we going with that? Height. So yes, all my friends are like 6'3". Uh, so yeah, of course I'm going to make my legs longer than they would be naturally, for sure. The other thing is I would, I kind of have to be, just because of the way that my normal walking prosthetics work, they kind of have to be increased in length to be able to flex properly mm-hmm. with the carbon fiber, mm-hmm. with the way that just my foot's mm-hmm. designed. And so with the legs that I have now, they artificially increase my height, but at the same time, I don't actually get to choose how tall I am now. I'm actually at the shortest I can be with these prosthetics. Um, I could choose to be taller, but I think it already looks ridiculous as it is, and it'd look more ridiculous. Um, I chose to be taller, so how tall are you now? I don't actually know. Maybe five eleven. Okay. Yeah, I'd be five eight really. I yeah. think in real life, but that's <laughs> what I would be by the Paralympic measurement. They have some sort of algorithm they work out. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's something that you just never would know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and how often do you have to change your because uh, your prosthetics? Surely the carbon fiber. Growing, eventually. growing. Yeah, I mean, I break them all the time snowboarding or at the gym or something. <laughs> um, every every year, I'd probably have to get new feet. Yeah. When I was growing, I'd have to get prosthetics, like a new socket, every three to six months because I was growing. Yeah. 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 Rapidly as a child. Yeah, because well, I was good. I was, had something like as a Jake. Like, do you have like a, a new pair of 
prosthetics for going out and, and you're like you're dancing. I, so one. get this, <laughs> yeah. get this. I have multiple pairs of prosthetics and one of them are a shorter pair. And when I was uh, flatting at university with all of my mates before going out, you know, I'd definitely wear the taller ones. And they're like, oh, got his arrogant legs on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Confident boosts just like a little bit. Voice drops a little bit, you know. That's hilarious. My mates keep me very grounded. Yeah, <laughs> That's what you need though. Isn't it, it is, yeah. man, you it is. You meet people you. and yeah, the, the, it's bizarre how strange and arrogant some people become i think so so what different types of prosthetics do you have there? i've got get this I, my dad paid uh eleven thousand dollars for some swimming legs or some diving prosthetics where the ankle can move to be my, my, my feet are basically locked at a 90 degree angle for walking like a normal person but to swim you have your foot extended to being 180 degrees mm -hmm. aligned with your mm -hmm. with your shin bone and uh, paid $11,000 for them. I get them, I put them on, I'm like, oh yeah, they're a little bit heavy. I go into my local pool, which I think was two and a half meters deep. I jump in at the deep end and I literally was just like a rock going <laughs> to the bottom. I hit the bottom and this is when I was like in really good shape, not like I am now. And it took all of my strength to get to the surface and get like five <laughs> meters across. And I'm looking and there's like one of the kind of guys who's sort of was super weird at high school and kind of failed a bit and like he was about to walk over and save me and i'm like i can't let this fucking save me. <laughs> and so i get to the end i thought you know i was dead set thinking i could potentially drown as a result of these diving legs uh and then i've never used them again so eleven thousand dollars wasted Put money and i'm lucky i didn't jump yeah. in the ocean if yeah. i jumped in oh, the yeah, ocean man. i just game over. whoosh you sure game you, over you sure you put on the right one yeah <laughs> Far. Um, and then I have obviously various running legs um, and then uh, back home I have different legs I'd take to the gym which is stiffer and more resilient to heavier weight loads for doing deadlifts and stuff so they don't snap because I've been mm -hmm. at the gym and I'm doing squats <laughs> or deadlifts and then one foot's just snapped it's just gone yeah Jeez. yeah that's brutal yeah. so do you still do you still run I saw not the, really the, the marathon uh, yeah but other I got than that. tricked by my workmates <laughs> I got duped and so it was like maybe 12 weeks out from this marathon my f friends at work started talking about it I'm like oh yeah I'll do the marathon and I didn't do any training. I think I maybe did five training runs of about five to 10K. And then I just showed up on the day. And of course, I was the only one who showed up. And <laughs> I was like, fuck, screw it. I'll run it anyway. How, how hard can it be? I had to have a doctor bike along with me the entire 42K, feeding me um, uh, tramadol, a nerve blocker, and another form of painkiller. And I did the first half marathon, and I was in the top 50 athletes. So that was pretty impressive yeah, for someone yeah. who'd done no training. Yeah. Um, and I was in a ton of pain and I was taking all these drugs. And I think I got to the halfway mark, I threw up a little bit. And then the pain really started to set in in my leg. So not as a result of any sort of physical fatigue, but from just like constant smashing on yeah. the end of my leg. And by the time I got to the finish line, or even the last 1K, I was in the last 50. And I had an 80 year old grandma walk past me go and she was so old she's like i never thought i would be an olympian <laughs> and i'm looking at her thinking fuck you grandma <laughs> but i wasn't going to catch her to say anything so she sort of went past me and i was like in so much pain and this doctor was going you sure you want to carry on and i get to the end and you know i'm just surrounded by old people and all the good people you know 50 years and younger have all been and gone and uh, they go, how do you feel? And I go, oh, I feel pretty good. And as I say, good, I just threw up all over <laughs> the cameraman's leg. All, all the drugs just came to the surface and uh, I couldn't really distinguish between the horizon. It was all sort of just merged into one. Jeez. And I was, yeah. yeah. But that, well, no, I don't do any more running. It's, yeah. Yeah. I go to the gym occasionally, like twice. 
once every two weeks maybe uh but yeah yeah tick the marathon off the list yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. i've done it and, right. and everyone doesn't like training calves so that's exactly yeah. i mean mine are so strong they've imploded in on themselves <laughs> <Just dense. laughs> yeah. um, it's funny when i first started going to the gym at 14 or something when i first went sort of on like a trial they took maybe five new people you'd have to set a time to be shown around by a pt and how to use all the equipment and i wore pants and the pt put me on the calf machine <laughs> and i was the first one on it <laughs> just saying like well now just contract your calves and i'd go along with it and i'm like you know pretending not to know you know how to do it i'm like it's not working and then she tried to like pat my calves <laughs> <laughs> and she's just patting a fake head. Oh, it was brilliant. got him got him <laughs> they got a shock <laughs> Um, well, yeah, one thing I, we, in my research I, I found out about you, Liam, is that one of your goals, and I'm sure it was in your vision booklet, is to do an Ironman yeah. by the age 28. Is that out the window now and then after the marathon? Well, that was that, so before the marathon, I was saying like, this would be a test to see yeah. if I could do it. And I'd still be keen to do it, provided I could build better legs than mm -hmm. the ones that I have now. I think the, the swim and the bike would be fine, but doing the run after a swim and the bike, already knowing yeah. how hard it is. Um, from like a physiological point, I could definitely do a marathon easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I could have done it really fast, provided I wasn't in so much pain. So if I could design blades with the same sockets at which other amputees use for mm -hmm. everyday walking and around get the pain. to yeah. reduce the pain, then I'll be up for it. Yeah. But at the moment, it's not a priority because I'm prioritizing yeah. comedy as a career as well as all the media as a career, I should say. Uh, but I'd be up for a marathon for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not afraid of doing a marathon. Yeah. And I'd, regardless of how much training I'd do, I'd show up. Yeah. Um, you might have to work on your swimming after your... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely know how to... I could design... <laughs> they've designed legs much better now. I guess there's a few experiences of people being like, this doesn't work, you're going to kill me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they can't just keep trying with heavy yeah, legs. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. This I might don't know how him. they got through. I really don't know how they got through. And they're so expensive. But yeah, to jump in a pool and just literally hit the bottom. Like I got ground shock from hitting the bottom of the pool. Um, yeah, if they were hard to take off, I mean, it'd be fine if I could just, uh, I could just whip mine off relatively quickly. But if you were someone who had some sort of system where that wasn't the case, I mean, you'd be at risk from drowning. Yeah. So yeah. they have better systems now. They just use like a light 3D polymer plastic. Okay. They 3D print. I find it so interesting to talk yeah, to yeah, someone, yeah, especially yeah. with how frank you are about stuff yeah, like yeah. Because I think sometimes people are almost not intimidated, but slightly wary of asking uh, people about so it. Weird. Kids are great because yeah. kids come up to me and they'll just ask questions like, wow, you can build legs that make you run fast. Why don't you make rocket legs that make you fly? <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, I'd never think of that. Go, go gadget you know, legs. Yeah, go, yeah. go gadget legs. Exactly. They have all these different devices. Um, Heelys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but parents become so, or adults just in general, because we're told to be polite and I not offend people, not stare. Yeah. But then I always catch them double glancing. You know, I know that they're going to do it. So then while I'm walking, they'll be like all staring and then I'll turn around and catch them. <laughs> but at the same time, they're on the way walking in front of me, their kid would like, you know, sort of be staring. And they'll be like, don't stare, don't stare. But then they just do it themselves. Yeah. I don't know why they're so weird about it. I don't know why people are so weird about staring in the first place. Yeah. If someone around you in your environment has an anomaly, it's, it's, a, it's a, a biological impulse to stare at them to figure out what's going on. The same way it's a biological impulse to look at someone who's really attractive, right? Mm -hmm. I've got really attractive friends who are female who constantly moan about guys staring at them. Yet 
they have also been guilty when I was first meeting them at like staring at me when I walked through school. And it's the exact same thing. But again, people are just moaning all the time now. People just want to be offended, yeah. I feel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Is there anything like any funny stories or anything like weird that's come from your legs? Uh, countless you? ones. I mean, I probably need something to sort of, you know, prompt me to remember it. Um, I mean, when I was younger, I'd do things at school like I'd spray them with some form of aerosol and then set them on fire. <laughs> or if we had a new relief teacher <laughs> filling in for the day, for you know, if my teacher was sick, um, and I'd you know, wear pants that day, knowing or, or if I was just wearing pants as you know, part of the uniform, I'd like twist my leg around and all the students would be in on it and say that I've dislocated my leg <laughs> and we'd watch this young new female teach just panic and it was brilliant um what did the airport say do you get oh that's a good one that's a really good one so the two toughest places to travel would be Dubai and the US mm-hmm. and Dubai I never imagined but you go through there and every single time they stop me they want me to take my leg off they swab me for everything uh, everything, not everything. God, that's horrible. Um, <laughs> they swab me for everything, and that's a real bad process. But the US is hilarious because, especially if I wear pants, I mean, it's not that noticeable unless you're explicitly looking for mm-hmm. me to have artificial legs. And so, if I go through a metal detector and they like either do the wand or it's the big X ray thing mm-hmm, that yeah. identifies where there's metal, like I had this experience with this American guy, uh, he's sort of like this sort of maybe 65 year old American, and be like, Sir there's something metal in your pants and i'm like oh yeah no my legs i'm like no sir sir there's something metal in your pants <laughs> yeah my legs <laughs> sir uh we're gonna have to detain you if you do not tell us what is metal. you fucking idiot <laughs> made metal. all right shut up my legs are- look i'm banging against them you know but as you like reach down he's sort of cautious like i'm reaching for a gun or something oh it's horrible it's horrible going through the u.s and dubai dubai they're very invasive and you try to like they want me to take it off and um, if I'm wearing what I'm wearing now, which are these like 3D printed calves that go along the outside, I can't take them off because they're screwed in. And they're so frustrating to deal with because they don't particularly understand English well either. Mm-hmm. And it's a nightmare. But then sometimes like in New Zealand, they're too relaxed about it. You know, they don't even swab me or anything. I could be storing a gun in there. I mean, if you're a terrorist, um, <laughs> chop yeah. off your, you know, and it's not, I mean. Are you giving maybe, terrorist yeah, tips there? Yeah. <laughs> Put some, uh, you know, or if you're smuggling. Maybe, I, yeah. There's still lots of dogs it's around New Zealand. Probably but, more yeah. comfortable than up your ass, isn't it? So. Yes, <laughs> very true, very true. I'm sure they've thought of that, though. Oh, uh, all the politically correct young people, millennials, who are also politically correct, to be freaking out of those comments. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, it would be interesting to see what the feedback is. <laughs> um, I was looking at the time. Should we get um, involved with the game? Yeah, Ooh, I'm um, excited. Have a little, we have a little break. break. Yeah. Have a little break. All right, cool. So did you ever meet Storius? No, okay, but interestingly enough, uh, between him coming out of prison for culpable homicide, I think that's the correct term for the South African judicial system, uh, and before he went back in, or before he was re-prosecuted for murder in the Supreme Court, he emailed me this email and just said, hey, it's Oscar, smiley face, which I thought was a bit positive. You do remember what you did? Like, yeah. Smiley faces and emojis are out yeah, for you. Yeah, um, yeah you're not allowed to use them. Better anymore. than a gun emoji or, you know, the head exploding <laughs> emoji or something. That would be too far. Yeah. Um, hmm. I thought I'd just shoot you a quick message. Yeah. 
That's good. Uh, you can use that one. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but it said, hey, Liam, been following your, or, hey, Liam, somebody has been following your career. It's awesome stories. We'd be happy to give you any advice if you needed it. And I was like, there's no way that it could be him because how could he have access to digital communication yeah. from prison that he had gotten out? And I thought it was my flatmates downstairs because I lived in this multi yeah. flat. I'm like, this is very creative for them. I thought I would. I thought I would humour them. So I said, "Hey, yeah, Oscar Shaw, would you be available to Skype sometime?" And he came back and he said, "Would you be available in five minutes?" I'm like, that's far too coincidental. So I was sure that it was my mates having a really good laugh. And then uh, we skyped, and it was him. No way. Yeah, it was him. Video as well. Yeah, video as well. And he was at his uncle's house, which was this big mansion in Pretoria. And he sort of was pretty plaze. And sort of we talked maybe three different times, so maybe one and a half hours to three hours each time um, about sponsorship, about training, about basically everything that you could imagine, but no advice on murdering. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, he wasn't very good at it, was he? <laughs> no, away, so. good point. Mm. Yeah. And, and do you like the guy? Yeah, it sounds weird to say it, but in terms yeah. of demeanour, reminded didn't remind me of me, but he didn't seem like... I mean, no more in the same way that, like, you know, we're all kind of similar, just like young yeah, kind yeah. of just nice yeah. guys, and he just came across like that. So yeah. you wouldn't suspect him. You wouldn't look, talk to him, and go murderer. <laughs> Maybe he's a psychopath, though. Yeah, hides it well. Maybe emotional, emotional Maybe. manipulation. I don't know. So Same here's the interesting thing: was when I found out about it. So when I was suffering from extreme anxiety when I was 18, I live on a farm back in New Zealand, and my dad worked globally, so I'd be there by myself. It was after my mum died. I would have extreme anxiety about someone breaking in because we had break-ins down the valley you know farms would get robbed all the time for their freezers for the meat or the petrol on the farm or whatever so i was quite paranoid about it and so i would sleep and i was into hunting and stuff i would actually sleep with a knife or a shotgun beside my bed and so when i first heard it and his explanation being like i was paranoid about a burglar i'm like oh yeah that makes sense yeah but who fucking knows you know but to me i'm like oh that makes total sense because i had that same anxiety about someone breaking in and hearing noises and then you know so that was yeah. it was weird and it's never been cleared up has it really we well he's been in. convicted of murder <laughs> so. well obviously yeah yeah, yeah, but, yeah the, the waters are still muddy yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me think about this is he a nice guy yeah but maybe he but still sticks by him, yeah he right? does yeah, yeah, but yeah. He, and he, I know people that are really good friends of them and they stick by him too yeah. so yeah it's interesting but there's there's a few things that don't add up it's like well, it was all a bit strange he, the door locked the door was locked. Like, well, who yeah. burgles someone and he goes, the I'm just going <laughs> to lock the door. Splash some water on my face, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a really a good, good bit yeah, of robbing, yeah. that was. But you don't know. I mean, you. In high, like, hindsight's always a wonderful thing. Mm. And they're like, yeah. why would you not check to see if your girlfriend is there? But yeah. in the moment. True. Like, I've been, I was in an environment where my dad was even at home. And I kind of freaked out when I heard a bunch of nails falling off in our garage, which I slept beside, like, in my room was closest to. And I kind of freaked out and grabbed the gun and went out there. And it was rats that hit the rail. The the rat. The so you shot the rats. Yeah. yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't unload through the door. Uh, that, There's the difference. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah like, for me, like, for me, I can empathise with that situation and see myself potentially doing that had I lived in South Africa because I also have a lot of South African friends mm-hmm. who are like we're so glad we moved to New Zealand when we were growing up. The eldest, you know, sibling would have a fucking handgun under their pillow because. People got broken into constantly, and yeah. it's a crazy yeah. place. And so there is a much greater degree of anxiety about being murdered. Um, so I, I don't know. He still shot someone. Still has to pay the consequences for that. Yeah, I think that's it. Either way, um, 
but you haven't heard from him since he's been back in. Well, he definitely doesn't have digital communication. And I can't really be bothered writing Letter. a letter. Nah, fuck it. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, like, well, women fall in love with prisoners, don't they? they <laughs> it's a like, weird thing. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so maybe you should give that a go. Yeah. yeah. With old yeah. Oscar. Hey, Oscar. Dude. Smiley face. <laughs> yeah. The world's changed. We have Tinder and Bumble, and it's brilliant. But what you can do is yeah. letters. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Who's the coolest person you've met? Ooh. And if it is Branson, who's the second coolest person you've met? Nah, I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, at the end of the day, he's still just a regular. Mm. He's obviously not regular, but not necessarily. I mean, the coolest people that you know are your mates, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because you don't really get to know someone in a brief meeting. True. And their, you know, with their winnings from life, whatever you, their achievements, they're supplementary to the person themselves. Because you have, to be fair, assholes that do really well in life mm-hmm. but yeah it's just my mates yeah, I think. my That's my friends because they've been through me tried and true and uh all doing their own thing and they're cool so yeah man well, let's go for the egotistical version then yeah. right who's, who's, the, who's the highest who's status the highest, person yeah. that i've met uh so here's an interesting story i modeled in new york fashion week not because i'm a model this is the interesting thing about the ego actually right, right. I don't, I've never, I'm not interested in fashion. I'm wearing a $20 secondhand denim shirt. It's like 30 years old, a secondhand t-shirt that I stole from my girlfriend's dad. And I don't spend, I'm wearing clothes made by poor Chinese kids from Zara, you know. And so I don't spend a lot of money on my appearance because I have no legs, so it's pointless. You don't have to worry about the comfort of shoes, I suppose. Yeah, and so, uh, but when I got called up to call, they're like, we'd love for you to come and do New York Fashion Week at one of the most, at probably the coolest show my ego was like, it's about time I got discovered. <laughs> about fucking time. Where? Look at me. Where have they been this whole time? You know, and that was really interesting for me to like observe that behavior. I'm like, I am a fucking model, you know? Uh, but I was obviously going because I had no legs and it was a diversity card. So good for them. Um, but I went there and the woman who brought me over was the ex-editor of Vogue. Um, or actually a really nice woman. You know, I, I went over there with these sort of preconceived ideas of what the fashion elite would be like. Mm-hmm. And most of them were actually pretty chill. Mm. Obviously, um, a little bit odd, but they're, they're really cool people and I like odd people. Um, so Corrine brought me over and we had a dinner one night. She had another event that she was celebrating and beside it was like me, her, uh, like a billionaire guy who I didn't know who ran uh, and his daughter who ran um, Tech Techno Gym, which is like a fitness equipment thing, uh-huh. uh, which is you know a global company. And beside me was Fergie from Black Eyed Peas, <laughs> right? So I'm having dinner with Fergie. And then, then I'm partying with Fergie and I'm dancing alongside her, taking selfies with her, you know, but she didn't remember my name. She basically at the end of it called me, she's like, see you later champion sort of <laughs> like talking down to me you know like she's almost been dancing with someone who's like mentally retarded you know oh goodbye the champion yeah. thumbs up but uh so but no the, the you know fergie i guess by status is up there branson is up there by status uh founder of deep mind for the nerds out there um is up there by by status um within the tech world uh different still recording martin but uh. Don't worry about it. We're still recording, but don't worry. Yeah, we're getting, we're getting some nuggets here, mate. Great material. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, some actors, yeah. You said, yeah, yeah, different actors. Uh, I don't. Know. I mean, I, when I did a Channel Four thing here, the stand up for cancer, mm-hmm. there's Bear Grylls and a whole bunch of others. But you meet them briefly. You don't really get to know them. They don't really care who you are. They're busy with their own careers. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and so yeah, but, but Branson's, I guess, is probably the one. Mm. Yeah. Has he always been a, a well, role model? Yeah, I mean, he had dyslexia as a child, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. dropped out of school young, did everything unconventionally, 
in a sense, uh, and lived life by his own terms and was told from the onset that it probably wouldn't happen. So yeah, yeah, definitely draw inspiration from that. Yeah. Anyway, shall we? Yeah. Right. So we just come back. Huh? This is interesting. So we've just come back from the break, and um, obviously now is our is our game segment. And we're struggling. Uh, we're struggling uh, to sort of find what we're going to do. We had one idea was do roast Malone. Nice. I where like we'd that. find comments on the internet where they just talk shit about you, <laughs> or, po- or post Malone, right. and then you'd have to guess which one they were talking about. That's brilliant. Thank you. We didn't do that one. <laughs> <laughs> that I is came brilliant. Up with that this morning. <laughs> yeah, that's good. There's, there's not actually that much about you. Well, there's there's a couple that sure. quite, quite funny. Um, we also weren't sure. Yeah, it's tough after we met you, so we didn't want to come in and be like, as if like you just ignored all the negativity on the yeah, internet. Yeah, yeah, we no just idea. went. Literally, loads of people hate you. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no, that would be funny though. I would have been keen for that one. Next time. Right, yeah, next, yeah, time. Next, time. next time. Okay, so instead, we've got Liam Maloney or Liam Baloney. Oh God, here we go. <laughs> so if I'm going to give you facts, so it's the three of you playing against each other. Uh-huh. If it, if you think it's true, you say it's Liam Maloney, or if it's false and I've made it up, it's Liam Baloney. Okay, okay, gotcha. We got we, we got seven questions. So how yeah. do we? Who, does it like who jumps in the fastest, or we tap on? No, no, it? you're each going to take it in turns. Oh, so, interesting. Okay. All right. So, so we'll you, get a chance you to answer, are you taking scores, John? Uh, no, I've, I've even done, I've even printed a table. Have you got pen? I do indeed. Yeah. Okay. So, well, question number one. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. So the uh, was obviously filmed in New Zealand. So yeah. Has a connection to you. Women in beards were used as extras in the films. Wait, so who's, who's answering? Uh, you, you go, go first. first. True. Liam Maloney. Maloney! Actually, you probably should do him first, but I was going to say Liam Maloney. Anyway. I'm going to go Liam Maloney. <laughs> <laughs> it, is. Got to now. it is Liam Maloney. Yeah. You know that? Uh, I had a friend's mum who was an extra. She was a hobbit. Um, she was like a, a midget in real life. Not like a dwarf, like a midget. In real, and did you weird. have a beard? Uh... <laughs> No. no. Was hairy though. <laughs> Wouldn't want to hug her. That you were told. Yeah. Okay, the first Paralympics, the first official Paralympics was held in Los Angeles in 1932. West, you go first. I go Liam Baloney. Liam? To all the people who are listening, I don't care. <laughs> the Paralympics, but I'll go Liam Maloney. Um, I'll go Liam Maloney. It's Liam Baloney. Oh. First one was in uh, 1960. Huh. And uh, only people in wheelchairs were, uh, I was going to say performing, but obviously, yeah. I wonder what they did. Well, rating, I suppose. <laughs> Just, I'm trying to think what the wheelchairs would have been like back then. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Where was it, do you know? Uh, Rome. Rome. Huh. <laughs> you got it right. <laughs> I got it wrong. Uh, you got it wrong. Liam, I, thought it would be I got it wrong. People weren't inclusive enough in 1930 or whatever you said. Okay, yeah, it's a good point. This is another, his fake one now. This is another classic... Uh, New Zealand item. At its peak in 1982, there were 50 million sheep in New Zealand. Liam Maloney or Liam Baloney? I'm going to go for Liam Maloney again. Liam Maloney. I'm going Liam Maloney. It's Liam Baloney. Ah. There were 70.3. 70 million. We would have been fucking loads. <laughs> that's, I don't know what's that. That's a lot. Per sheep. That's yeah, a lot. It's like there's like only 3 million people. Well, there wasn't that. Yeah, point, I think. that's interesting. Yeah. Like that. Like, that's an awful lot mm. of sheep. <laughs> okay. This is a uh, sort of uh, touches on one of your last leg performances mm-hmm. where you showed a kid how to dab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is a fact or maybe not uh, number four. It's illegal to dab in Saudi Arabia. Everything's illegal. Liam <laughs> I'm going Liam Maloney. It's Liam Maloney, sure. It's Liam Maloney. It's true. <laughs> You're so not allowed to dab. You can't do anything. <laughs> there's connotations to weed. 
Apparently. Well, yeah, because yeah, no, the, what? the dab originated from weed. It's like you smoke a massive cone and then you go to cough. That's where the dab is. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. That's where, that's where the dab came from. I think it was 2 chains. I think 2 chains popularized it in, uh, yeah, in I, I, rap. Mm. Um, and then yeah. it was adopted, just that thing, by the athletes in the NFL. No but yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's origins come from smoking cones. Yeah. I believe Post Malone dabbed in his White Iverson video. <laughs> and that man <laughs> loves smoking weed, so there we no go. surprises. Yeah. Okay. Rugby union is the most common sport in New Zealand when it comes to those aged 13 to 18. Liam Maloney or Liam Baloney? Liam Baloney. I'm go- it sounds like it should be true, but I'm going Liam Baloney. I'll go Liam Maloney then. <laughs> it's Liam Baloney. <laughs> <laughs> what is the most it's Football. <laughs> wouldn't you? Is it, like, it would be football, wouldn't it? Is that the next question? <laughs> question number six. <laughs> what is the most common sport? <laughs> if it isn't rugby union. Is this bonus point? No, this is question number six. Okay. Is in uh, uh, yes or no? No, obviously not. How are you going to say yes? That is the uh, most Fo- common sport. It must be football. Basketball. Wait, can we clarify? You're naming a sport that is more common than rugby union. No, don't you in say USA. Li- what? <laughs> New Zealand. Because that's where Liam is from. <laughs> um, I'm going to go uh, lacrosse. It's actually netball. Oh, oh I, was, I was thinking oh, netball. Social netball is huge. Yeah. yeah, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Um, and then another sort of link to your name, Home Alone. <laughs> Great film. The part of Kevin McAllister was originally meant to be played by uh, Justin Timberlake, who is the same age as Macaulay Culkin. Liam Baloney. Liam Maloney. I'm going Liam Maloney. It's Liam Baloney. It's Baloney. Yeah, it was uh, the, the <laughs> who part was, it was meant to be played by Macaulay Culkin. Oh, it was. Yeah. I thought I heard a story yeah. about that. No, it was written specifically for him. Huh. Yeah. That did not work out in his favour in the long run. <laughs> no, well. I mean, they've had two distinctly different career paths. <laughs> <laughs> Myth and success. It's like, That's a good name for an album. <laughs> yeah, Myth and success. Well, that is actually the end of our proper, okay, our, cool. our, our proper game. But we do need a tiebreaker because Tom and Liam are, oh, are joint on three. I don't think I've won a game yet. Okay. Do, I, do I get to answer? No, you don't. No, oh. you've lost me. How many days... Is it how many full days is it until the Tokyo Paralympics in 2020? Closest wins. Uh, you give us. Uh, six hundred and no, seven hundred and eighty. I'm going seven hundred and five. Oh, Jesus Christ! I'm now <laughs> gonna work out the fucking maths. Is it in the uh, middle of that? It's pretty much bang. <laughs> Can you imagine? What? It's, it's not. It's closer to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just. Yeah. It's actually 745 days. Five so days wait, who wins? Uh, Liam does. Oh, just. I was going to go 711. Uh, do I win? No, I don't win. You were... No, 45, because you, you, you said... 705, I said. Yeah, oh. yeah, you were 35 off. He was... Yeah, you were yeah sorry. Yeah, sorry. Fuck! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bastard! <laughs> That's yeah, it's just like that well, time they won. built that bloke Tigo up and then beat him in the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you've won. You haven't. God, he's good at that. Like, build you up and then <laughs> you should have seen up. it coming. Uh, oh, we do actually have some questions from the general public. From don't the we? general yeah. public. Uh, on, I will find the one. Okay, keep talking. I'll drop. Okay, all right. Well, one good. thing I'd like to do, just as a bit of fun, Liam, is I want you to... Um, make a goal or maybe think of one for the end of the uh, episode the, sure. uh, think of a goal that you want to achieve in a year or so mm-hmm. and then we'll have you back on and we'll see if you've 
if you've kind of Check completed it. it. Okay, I can give it to you now. Play yeah. at the Apollo. Okay. Live at the Apollo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, and we're saying... No, there's not. Uh, like time frame? Or it should that? be by the end of next year. Okay, end of next year. Yeah, I think it should have. Um, I mean, I don't... Apollo. Yeah, I don't know the logistics of... Like all the the, the competition to get into doing yeah, that, yeah. but I think I could probably do that. We'll, yeah. we'll run with that, and we'll have, yeah, we'll have you back on yeah, if you'd yeah, like to come back good. on, and we'll see. And at least if I if I haven't, then I should be able to explain why. Yeah, yeah, yeah and exactly. it could be because I'm not funny and I end up homeless. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> back on those benefits. Yeah. Back on those benefits. Picking By apples. the way, yeah. just saying, if I was homeless, I think I'd kill it. I mean, the kid with no legs versus just the bums. <laughs> yeah. Or, in fact, have you been uh, in like the centre of London? I don't know what it's called, where there's no road and there's sort of like the park, and it's beside the big theatre, uh, and there's just all the people. Trafalgar Square? Maybe Trafalgar. But uh, there's, you have, okay, you know, I'm just going to give you the example. The uh, fuckers in robes who just sit on the little plate, and they've got the big robes. It is, and they love it is Trafalgar Square, yeah. That's not a thing, no. you know? And I walked past one the other day, and he made bank. <laughs> Why are people giving that guy money? Yeah, I'll go there and try and balance for 15 seconds. I should get more money, do you reckon? I reckon so. Uh, surely I should, I should be able to just go and stand there, I think, and get more money than him. People feel sorry With for you. With a sign, yeah. I'm doing better than this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's what I find really right. interesting here. People just paint themselves gold and go and stand there. Like, that's I reckon you've got a TV show there, just yeah. trying to like outdo homeless people. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at that. I can't draw for shit, but it's still yeah. better than this guy. So, yeah. <laughs> Stop busking. I had this debate with my girlfriend and she got really wound up about playing upon people's misfortune or something. But I don't know. I, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, it's your choice at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm, uh, um, okay, I'll actually read it word for word because mm -hmm. she's a fucking idiot. <laughs> when did you were you closest to giving up? So what she actually means... Is she qualified as well for the parallel? <laughs> uh, <laughs> she does medicine at Oxford. Yarn. Uh, no, it doesn't surprise me. I've seen doctors writing. Um, well, yeah, so what she meant to say was, when were you closest to giving up? Uh, da, 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 never. There was no point because I think accountability is like a big thing. And I've never really been afraid of failure because I've had so much of it. So I would have showed up either way. There were probably points where I uh, would have like a moment or a lapse in discipline where I'd... Uh, get baked maybe this is very early on and that only happened maybe twice where i got really ripped with a bunch of friends like i was doing a university assignment and uh you know the yeah i lived with a bunch of stoners and uh that might have been one where i wasn't close to giving up but i gave up on my discipline and my principles but i quickly retract or i ate like a bunch of ribs or pizza or something and i had to refocus but there was no point where i wanted to give up and once you're on a path where you're doing something that you want to do regardless of if you think it's going to work out or not regardless of you think the uh you're going to get the benefits of success it's still a really good feeling to just be working at something and trying to improve yourself mm. i think there's you know you can take pride in that mm. good answer good great answer, answer actually yeah mm. is that it yeah that was the best one um but then I think we should probably just move on towards talking about your future. Obviously, yep. mm -hmm. like the comedy is a part and a yeah. path that you're going to try and at least. Follow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the reason is, I mean, I, I left the most incredible job for a 24 year old to have in the workforce. I think I was working for a, an incredible company that has really valuable technology that's been verified by, I guess, when you look at startups and how they're verified, I mean, it had funding from. Uh, you know, VCs that backed DeepMind and a bunch of other really successful artificial intelligence companies mm -hmm. um, and the clients that they were working with. And I was 
traveling abroad. So I, I came to the UK. I was going on CNBC. I was meeting with CEOs of top 500 Fortune companies. And I left that to pursue something that I don't know if I can be successful in. Uh, but the principles that you can apply to comedy are the same that I applied to running. Um, and most people have this idea that they see comics um, on stage performing perhaps on TV or doing a comedy special and they go, this person is just genuinely funny. They get up there, they don't even have any you know, notes or anything. That's amazing. Uh, but that's not the process by which people get to do a special or you know, be on TV. It's like a, just basically the same level of practice as practicing for the Olympics. You're doing different tasks, but mm -hmm. the principles mm. are still the same. Um, the reason I like comedy is one, I've always used humor to make myself feel better, whether it was about my legs or my mum having cancer. Humor was the way that we dealt with that more than anything. Um, and then if you think about comedy as a business, I really like it as an industry because you, as a, as a product, if you view a joke as a product or a set as a product, there's very negative, very few negative externalities. So there's no like packaging waste. There's like, it sounds ridiculous <laughs> to say, but there's no packaging waste. There's no, um, there's, yeah, there's very few negative externalities on society or unincurred consequences on society. But apart from potentially offending a few little, like, like, you know, people hmm. who are just soft. So I like that. I really like that. And then you're essentially your own boss where, you know, your level of success in my view is really determined 99% by how hard you work. And, uh, and you don't, you get to travel a lot. You don't get to, you don't have to be stuck in an office the whole time. So, yeah. Mm. And uh, so, oh, sorry. So you're in London for two years. I have a two and, year and, work visa. And the plan is to follow the comedy through yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, it's like, how do you, so you have to figure out, like, how do you start? Same way of starting a business. And fortunately for me, I've been trying to lever leverage my network to be able to try and consistently get, the most important thing you need in comedy is not lots of writing, because you can write anytime, there's lots of stage time. I'm fortunate in the sense that I've probably had 200 hours of stage time from doing corporate speaking events, whether related to my own you know, success mm. at the Olympic Games or, uh, you know, speaking on behalf of that company at you know, these massive conferences, mm -hmm. like yeah. I spoke at the McKinsey Global Banking Conference this year. Um, and so that really helps, but you really need to get consistent stage time in delivering jokes to get good at it. So the first thing I have to do when I get here, besides all the administrative stuff of finding a flat and getting you know, a job in the short term is getting consistent stage time. And I'm leveraging my network at the moment to ensure that that happens. Once you have that, it's just really a basic process and you just keep doing it. It's just like turning up at these shitty track events where there's you know, a few people, you're going and playing to really tough crowds who go into these open mic nights and they're sort of sub judging you like, we'll be the judge of this and you know, um, and mocking you throughout it and you just push through it. And eventually you get better and better and better. I was gonna ask how do you feel because the way you were speaking about the Olympics, you sounded like from the day you decided to do it, you knew you were going to get there mm. and win the events. Sure. How do you feel confidence-wise with the comedy more confident, in comparison? More, more confident. confident. Way more confident. Yeah. Because uh, the great thing about the arts or comedy is that for one person to win, you don't have to detract from other people. Whereas in the Olympics, only one person wins, right? Second and third. You get second and third, but you didn't win, mm -hmm. really. Um, they try and they give you a silver medal Actually, funny story, just to diverge, <laughs> where the Paralympics, uh, the, the medals have, um, the, between the gold, silver, and bronze, they have these different sort of pieces of gold or stone in them that sound different. So the blind people can shake it to the ears and know which medal they have. But when I didn't know this, and so when 
the dude got when I got my first medal and it sort of rattled, I kind of just went, oh, dude, it's fucking broken. <laughs> <laughs> Give me another one. I'm not getting ripped off. Three years for a broken medal. Um, but the great thing about comedy is that when other comedians do well, in my view, even though I know that there'll definitely be this sort of like um, envy between comedians on how well they do, um, and it might, you know, it might be different between here in LA, but I know at the comedy store there, they're really supportive of each other. But in general, you're lifting everybody up mm-hmm. if you do well. And that's what's different. And so if, as long as you can find a niche within the comedy world, you can do really well. Yeah, and I'm not, and I'm not worried because I've, like, I'm financially independent. I've yeah. got a lot of savings. I can always go back and work in business. In fact, I probably, you know, I'm a massive fan of having two forms of income. Yeah. So I'll probably get a job in the short run working at a decent company anyway. And so I just don't really feel like I have much to lose. Mm-hmm. And so I can go all in on it. Mm. And you, you've said numerous times that throughout your childhood especially and your early stages of your life, anxiety has been a big issue. Mm. How do you think that's going to play a role in, well, in comedy? I wouldn't say comedy is the easiest career to get up on stage and, and kind of you're putting yourself out there aren't it's you? the easiest and the hardest thing so i have mm. no fear of in fact you know as a byproduct of having artificial legs i mean i only started wearing pants at 12 but until that point i wore shorts pretty much the whole time i never wore pants um and this, this is very egotistical to say but i've become accustomed to attention even if it's not necessarily yeah. positive even mm-hmm. if i'm being you know ripped out by my mates or whatever I still kind of enjoy it. Uh, and so to get up on stage for me is really not the challenge. It's the figuring out of, you know, how fast can you get started and accelerate that progress of just eating glass and staring into a dark abyss and not knowing if you're going to make yeah. it. The anxiety that I suffered from was really the acceptance of self, that I had these two artificial legs and that, um, you know, it was really sort of like a primal sort of anxiety against my mates who were sort of like six one. They got all the girls throughout high school and I'm like, oh, he's and then um, you know I was always sort of teased for it and then but it was more of an acceptance of self than anything else and coming to terms with that and now I don't really suffer from it that much no more than the average person has feelings of anxiety which is really normal yeah yeah. Um, yeah. and what's the comedy scene back uh, what's the comedy scene well so this is the other thing so the reason I came here I mean I've hardly done any comedy but it's been really hard to accelerate my progress in a place like New Zealand where in my city, which is the biggest city, Auckland, there's only one club. Mm-hmm. You get put on once a month when you're starting out and your room for growth or it's like, like your room for something magical happening or unexpected happening is very slim. Whereas here in London, you're, you're at one of the two centres for comedy in the world. And so your chance of just something magical happening is much, much higher. Where you, for example, you have someone in the crowd uh, or you who either know someone or is someone themselves mm-hmm. that can give you a break and so you want to get as close to the center of the sun as possible to try and make that happen as well as the fact that you have multiple clubs you can frequently get on not just at comedy clubs but comedy just just pubs in general put on open yeah, spots for yeah, yeah. we don't yeah. have that cultural aspect back in New Zealand it's right, like dry. right place right time right place right time whereas there's yeah. such a small like minuscule window back in New Zealand yeah, yeah. it's almost non-existent the sheeps don't give a fuck about they don't jokes. man yeah. they don't <laughs> Yeah. Have you have you got any uh, nights booked? Not yet, no. no. I've been here one week, but I'm in the process of getting yeah. that all sorted. I mean, for me, the most important thing right now is getting a flat. It's like getting getting life set up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, which I, I haven't got a bank account or anything like that. Yeah. She's cashing everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a mission. The system here is really flawed to getting set up. It's a hassle. Is it? Yeah. yeah, like setting up a bank account and getting a flat. So, for example, to open a bank account, you need a proof of address. But if you go to most landlords, they need you to have a British bank account to be able to put your bond into like a correct lease 
sort of protection thing. Uh, not all landlords are like that, but a lot of them are. And so it's like a tricky of which one comes first, yeah. the chicken or the egg. And the flat definitely comes first, but flatting in London is insanely expensive and super shit. So <laughs> trying to find a balance of something that's close to transport, not too shit and reasonable in rent. It's so challenging with not weirdos with not weirdos yeah. Yeah. London True. attracts a lot of strange so what, people. what have you been doing at the moment then for the past week for the last week I have been uh, looking at a lot of flats um, in terms of living though oh sorry living at a just with a bunch of friends okay. yeah I mean lots of Kiwis come here so I'm, I'm covered in the short term yeah yeah but you don't want to burden friends for two yeah. weeks yeah yeah mm. I was just going to say that shit other than Get Living, because Get Living is a great organisation. Wonderful. I mean, I'm really impressed with what flats. I've done with the, with the village. <laughs> to be fair, this setting is amazing. Cool. It is cool. We have an incredible view right now. Um, what, what are you smoking about? No, I was just, <laughs> just appreciating the view. I was like, yeah, we do. Should we, we ask the, the question? I think we should. Well, Henry, do you want to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let you do it. You first, first one back. Oh, yeah, okay. So, Liam, it was, I've had a bit of time out, so I needed to kind of really look at the notes. But every single guest that we've had on, mm -hmm. we asked them a question. We asked them if there's one piece of advice that you could give to a youngster who's embarking on their career, whatever that may be, what would your, what would your advice be to them? Sure, and that's a really tough question to answer because all people are different and all their situations mm. are different. But at a high level, I think... Building discipline is something that can be applied to any form of circumstance and is like a basic habit uh, that will move you upwards out of whatever environment you're in. And so I think it's being disciplined with like cleanliness, which is something that, and, and being organized, which is something that I still struggle with, uh, being financially disciplined, which our generation has, <laughs> is absolutely horrible at, right? We're all living off debt. Well, a lot of young people are all living off debt. We've all been scammed to going into university to get these sort of degrees that mean nothing. Um, and I think if you can be disciplined financially and as a person, mm -hmm. you're going to be fine anyway just basically off that one principle yeah um and building that discipline and the ability to say no to things whether it's like going out with your friends constantly or yeah saying no to to, to whatever is really important yeah it's good advice it's one an answer we haven't heard yeah, that, yeah, is, yeah. that is yeah fresh stuff. that's a good one um are we anything else from anyone i don't think so all right then wrap it up yeah. okay well uh liam thanks so much for coming on so Thank you so much, guys. It. This has been fun. It's in my eyes, but yeah, um, that was awesome, I think, from the three of us. Yeah, no, really agree um, the same thing. Yeah. So. But we'd love to get you on. When yeah. you oh, we can do this game for sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. When I'm homeless, I can tell you what it's <laughs> like, the ins and the outs. Apparently, they make quite a lot of money, so I can tell you how much <laughs> I make a bank on the streets. Uh, it's like, yes, yeah, guys, just, the yeah. So long it takes to spray yourself gold. Yeah, he's just turned up in his gold suit. Don't mind me just not sitting at the table, guys. I'm going to float. We'll have to get a big mic for him. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That is so oh. funny. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, we'll yeah, I remember. Um, yeah. We'll get you back on. We'll get you back on. Everyone, go and follow Liam on whatever, whatever. platform. You don't even have to. No, no. okay. Don't do go it. follow Liam then. Uh, but do go follow the Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We really need it. <laughs> so yeah, go do that. Subscribe to the pod. Uh, share the pod with your mates. And that's it. Yeah, for our, for our next guest as well, send in more questions. Yeah, more questions. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I've been Tom West. I've been Ross Jeffries. And for as long as I can remember, I've been Henry Martin. Thank you. Hey. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, Good job, guys. The Bulls are shown. The Bulls are shown. The Bulls are shown.